Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. With Nashville, Tennessee being one of the hottest real estate markets anywhere in the world, wouldn't it make sense that you'd be looking for a smarter real estate experience? Compass pairs the industry's top real estate agents with innovative technology to deliver a seamless experience for every client, from first-time buyers to seasoned sellers. I personally chose Lisa Gaston and the Gaston Collective to represent me when I sold my house recently here in Nashville. It was in the back end of the boom where the prices got to a point where everything was starting to retract, but she held firm and she delivered a great sale for me, and I'm unbelievably grateful for all the work that she put in, especially through trying and difficult times. Some of that was out of her control. With her deep local knowledge and her commitment to exceptional client service, she's helping clients all across Nashville find their place, including me. If you're interested in finding your greatest experience in the real estate journey in Nashville, contact Lisa Gaston today and visiting Compass. The Gaston Collective is a team of real estate licensees affiliated with Compass RE, a licensed real estate broker, and abides by the equal housing opportunity laws. I can't tell how often I have conversations with clients about the difficulty in hiring talented business professionals. I tell them all the same thing. It's no different than working on your golf game. Trust your local pro. If you're in Nashville, Tennessee, there's no better resource than SHR Talent. They partner with top organizations in Music City to attract, successfully close, and onboard candidates across their core competencies of accounting and finance, tech, HR, and marketing. Contact SHR Talent today. SHRTalent.com. That's SHRTalent.com. Remember, the future depends on your talent. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is a longtime friend, fellow PGA professional, and now has taken his career, much like I have taken my career, in a different way, in a different place. He was former head pro of Old Hickory Country Club for many years, but now he's playing a huge role in a very important in organization called In His Grip. Joining me today, Joey Hickman. Joey, how are you today, buddy? Hey, Virgil. <clears throat> Good. Well, I mean, you had a long tenure at Old Hickory Country Club, which is steeped in tradition as it pertains to the PGA, as, as Mr. Eller was there for a long time. Long time. You were there for a long time. What is it about the direction that you chose in his grip that was so worthy of the big leap from conventional PGA status at working at a country club to doing something that is, I know it's super close to your heart and it really aligns with who you are as a person, but it's so out of the ordinary. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that journey and how you got here. You know, uh, 27 years I was behind the counter yep. for the last 22 at Old Hickory. Loved what I did every day. I never looked at it as a job. The last couple of years, 2016, 2017, uh, I just felt in my heart that I was supposed to do something else. And I'm like, man, I, I, I've invested my life in this. Um, every day I went to work, I tried to learn something new, mm-hmm. try to make a difference. And so those two years, I just did a lot of praying, a lot of searching, and I knew Scott Lehman. Uh, we had a couple of tournaments at our church that were run by in his grip and so i had met him a few years earlier and i just thought man that that's something i'd really like to do 
And when I first met him, I joked around with him like, hey, I want to go to work for you someday. We laughed. We had no idea. And uh, 2017, I woke up April 1st, looked at my wife. I said, this is the year. And she, all she said was, you got to have a job. So um, got busy behind the counter, got busy teaching, doing everything I did at Old Hickory. And in September, my superintendent came in and he used some very colorful language and said, have you called Scott yet about going to work? And I said, no, man, I've been so busy. I just hadn't. He said, would you call him today? And so I called him on the way home and we started vetting one another. And mm-hmm. I knew when I left uh, December 31st of 2017 that I was going to work for his grip. I just felt called to invest into men's lives. The The best part of my job at Old Hickory was dealing with the people. Yeah. And I'm, I've just been a people person since I was wee high to a candlestick, you yeah. know. So I just knew that's where God wanted me, and that's that's what I've done. And in his grip has evolved rapidly since you got there. And, of course, Brian Jorgensen, who I've had on recently, oh. is there as well. You guys have put some brain power and some obviously golf experience to go along with what Scott built, and you guys are doing a bunch of incredible things and he, like evolved in his grip into something way bigger than it was in 2017. Yeah. Talk to us about that process and like how the communication. Because I know Scott was like, "Yeah, let's do this," but I'm sure like how did how did it get to be where it is today? You know, this was <clears throat> this was Scott's. Uh, dream years ago when he got saved to do golf tournaments through churches using men's ministry and all that stuff and it that really started drying up in 2013 14 15 16 um, his board allow him allowed him to take all of 2017 off not do a single tournament just pray about the direction of the ministry how would he see this making a bigger impact on men and, and families and I call him in September and he had he had gone to talk to somebody in Atlanta that morning about, you know, hey, I'm going to do this change in the ministry. We're going to pivot. Can you help me do a job description to put a bulletin out? And the guy goes, don't put a job description out. Wait until somebody's called to join you, because if you put a job bulletin out, you're going to get people looking for a job. You need somebody who wants to partner with you in ministry. That afternoon, I had no idea this was going on. That afternoon is when I called him, when my superintendent came in, used colorful language and said, mm-hmm. would you call him? Get your butt in gear. So... I call him and I think he's laughing at me on the phone. And I said, Scott, you got to help me out here, dude. I'm bearing my heart to you. I'm crying. I'm telling you, I'm wanting to come to work in the ministry. And he goes, man, I'm not laughing. I'm crying. He said, and then he told me that story. Wow. And cause I use the words, I feel called to join you. If it's not with you, it's going to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Scott's dream was to kind of follow the PGA model with the chapters, all of the pros across the state. I've got relationships with all, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just thought, man, this would be a great opportunity to get, get into clubs and courses, get out of the, out of the church model and get into the club and course model and and start having small groups with men at clubs and courses. He just used my expertise and knowing all of those people and getting into some doors. Yeah. And we, we just started doing, doing groups. And so now we have, I couldn't even tell you the number of groups across the nation, but just in, in Middle Tennessee alone, we've got about 16 groups that are meeting. I'm leading about seven. No kidding. Um, wow. We go, we have a Bible study, and then we play nine holes. Some groups play 18. Um, you know, everybody's like, man, you you got the perfect gig. I'm like, golf and God, it, it's not going to get any better than that. And yeah. so both of my passions tied up into one thing, being a an officer in the Tennessee section now, it's allowing me even further reach not just in tennessee but i'm, I'm on a national committee I'm, i serve with this um uh, education group that mm-hmm. we're trying to go through they call ourselves the seog s-e 
OG. I don't even know what all those letters mean, but <laughs> I'm part of it. Um, but I meet with them regularly. I meet with the national vice president, Don Ray, uh, monthly on a call. And, and the reach is beyond. Mm-hmm. Only God could do this. I could, yeah. I could never imagine doing something like that. And so Scott, with his vision, was to get into the clubs and courses. He needed a PGA Pro. Worked out great. Yeah. Now Brian's involved. Uh, Brian's on our board. He runs the World Pro-Ams. Uh, it's, it's just a natural fit, and the word is getting out there, and it's not about in his grip. That's a nice catchphrase, Yeah, but it's about changing the directory of men's lives. And research has shown, this is from Promise Keepers years ago, that if you reach the man first, 93% of the time the families will follow. Well, that's because the man becomes the man that God's called him to be. And that's our job yeah. to get in and do that. So if you can imagine sitting around a table in a, in a club or a course and guys got their Bibles open or their, their journals and they're sharing the word and people walk, well, what are you guys doing? Well, we're, we're studying the word at a golf course. Absolutely. Why not? We're taking the word to where it needs to be. Yeah. So we're all over the place. We're at public courses. We're at high end private. We're in between. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a marvelous journey. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is our country is falling apart. Mm. And if you study the fall of Rome, one of the key contributors to the fall of Rome was the loss of faith. Yeah. And I believe that the numbers of people following a faith are as low as they have ever been in this country. But I'm not sure that it's not because they don't want to. They have fallen out of or disillusioned by the religious places they've been. Yeah. And to me, <clears throat> I think people are starving for it, but they need something new and fresh and something that is they can hold on to that feels real. Yeah. Because one of my one of my favorite entertainers said in a in a concert he said it's not that i i don't believe in christianity i don't believe in the agents of god i love god no. i'm tired of the agents yeah and <clears throat> i know that if you put the right people in place it's people are dying to have that part of their life sure filled back are. up. And I think that's what you're experiencing. It's just that it needed a new setting. It needed something that was that coincided with it, that they could attach a level of soul joy, golf, yeah. with soul fulfillment, God. And you guys found a perfect – and I know how much it's growing because I follow it intently because I'm huge fans of you and Brian. And I'm like, wow, this thing's taken off, much like I anticipated. When you think about the message that you're providing within In His Grip, how important is that, is the current state of our country, even our area for that matter, and how much much is that filling up your heart, knowing what you're bringing to families and people? Because you got you can you can make a huge impact by just touching one person, let yeah. alone you don't have to touch a billion people right. to make a huge impact. Right. You know, when you change the tra- trajectory of of a life of a man, you're not just changing that man; you're changing his entire surroundings, yeah. his family, 
uh, his his work group. Um, I, I won't I won't tell you any names, but um, I'm gonna choke up about this. I got a text today. A very dear friend of mine. We had an intervention 26 days ago. He's been sober for 26 days. He's searching for meaning. Yeah. He's searching for purpose. All we did was go and love on him. Um, we had to had to have a frank conversation with him. Well, if you can imagine men that are out on an island, it can be anything. It can be a, it can be addiction to drugs, to golf, to life, to women, to pornography, whatever. When you when you deliver the message of hope, and that's what Jesus Christ is. It's a mes- message of hope. When mm-hmm. you deliver that message. And they go, wait a minute, I, I, I don't have to clean up to come. No, you don't have to clean up to come to Jesus. You come as you are. Just don't stay the way you came. Because Ooh, boy, I love that. when you get there, <clears throat> the Word is going to get inside of you, and the Word's going to do what only the Word can do. We're not selling anything. We're trying to help people get into the Word. The, the problem that, that I think we have in our, our modern culture today, especially in America, we tie our Christianity to a person. And that person is not Jesus. That person is the leader of the church, the evangelist or whomever. God, and so true. look, we, we're all frail. We all fall. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Everybody is. Yeah. When we put somebody up on a pedestal and they fall, we fall with them. Mm-hmm. And if we're following Christ, that person behind the pulpit doesn't, I'm, I'm going to say the wrong thing. Um, He's not as important as the person he's talking about, Jesus Christ. 100%. And so when we when we get our lives in line with Scripture and we start following Christ, that's it. Yeah. That's where we need to be. So that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to help men discover that. Yeah. You know, it's like this, Virgil. Think about all the things that you've learned about the golf swing in the time that you've been teaching. Mm-hmm. Imagine a guy like me that's been a flipper his entire life, and he's learning all of these things that you've been teaching for the last 20 years about wrist angles and about flexion and about about the D-plane. Yep. You don't have to understand everything to play the game. The Bible's the same way. You don't have to understand everything about the Bible, but what you have to understand is, is that, that the Bible was written by man through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I believe every word in there is profitable. And so when you start looking at it, you may not understand all the ins and outs of it, but if you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and you allow the group that you're going to be around the table to speak into you and you start listening to what they're saying, the Word begins to come alive to you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the golf swing. I'm Look, I'm 60 years old. I'm still chasing after it. I'm still mm-hmm. trying to get that extra five yards. I'm still trying to get that flexion so that I can get a little, little more lean. Sure. I don't understand it all. But I know that it works. Yeah. And if I can do that with my golf game, I can do that with my, my, my relationship with Christ. Yeah. Every day I get up and I have that morning tea time with him, and that's what sets my day, and that's what helps me to go do what I've got to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like anything else. You don't have to know it all. Yeah. But you you got to be around a group of people, like-minded people. you got to have fellowship. you gotta, you got to pray. you got to listen with the Holy Spirit's leadership and his mm-hmm. guidance. If you're a believer, the, the Holy Spirit is taking up residence inside of you. He's willing to teach you. You just got to be willing to listen. Yeah, I think one of the most important things that you said there is the fact that we are all here in search of human connection. And although we may be more connected than we've ever been around people around the world, we'll never meet. 
we've never been less connected with the people that are around us and that are impactful in our lives. And I think that you nailed something that I hadn't really given much thought to, which was that when there's, let's just say there's 20 guys. And the Bible is interesting because if you just keep rereading it, many, many stories that didn't mean anything to you two years ago are now completely pertinent right now. Exactly. And obviously that's why it's the most sold book ever. And it's no longer even on the bestsellers book list for New York times because it's ubiquitous. Number one. Yeah. Right. Is that when we're chasing life, sometimes we get so myopic and it becomes, we just become so insular within ourselves that we miss the boat. And I'm sure you see it's like when you get 20, 25, 30 guys together and everybody's sharing their struggles and their how they've come out of it and, or whatever, it allows people to cherry pick. Ooh, I haven't never tried that way of handling difficulty. Yeah. And it also lets you know you're not alone because in many ways, most people believe that their struggles, they're on an island by themselves. Yeah. And they're afraid to talk. They're afraid to ask for help. They're afraid to share pain. And in all actuality, all 30 of them are in the same boat. They're on a, they all think they're on a 30 different islands when they're actually just on this big ball called Earth. Yeah. <clears throat> That's a very powerful message for people to hear, in my opinion. Possibly the most powerful message that I try to pass on in this podcast, other than how you ended up in the the dream position that you've wanted to be in and share your path to it is the fact that we generally speaking don't value our human connection nearly as much as we should. And when we get it taken away from us for slowly for a long period of time, and then we immerse ourselves back into it in many ways, maybe that is the most important part is you have to realize that this whole thing is much bigger than you. It is, but you have to, I think it like you get 25, you get out of college and you, you want to start having a family and you want to start doing this and this and this, and you start trying to accrue things for you and your family. And whether that's how you were raised or whether that's what you see or whether that's what you believe, you can do it for a while until you figure out like, what the heck am I doing? This is so empty. Yeah. And I really think, I mean, I'm guilty as charged. Like, I have chased some things because it's what I thought I was supposed to do. It's what I, this is what Virgil's here for. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait a second. I ha- it has to be more than this. Yeah. And I would, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm not alone in that statement. You're not, <clears throat> you're not. Uh, I'll say this. I think we've been guilty of chasing after the American dream. Yeah. Um, you know, the path that I chose, you start out as a second assistant, and then your first assistant, and then you hope to move up to head pro and director of golf, general manager. I did all that. All that did for me was my work week went from 40 hours a week to 70 hours a week, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I was I was taken away from my family. And there just came a time when an unrest came. Is this all there is? Yeah. You know, the American dream is not found anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, got that right. it, it, it doesn't say anything about good times. It says when you face trials and temptations, it doesn't say if it says when mm-hmm. America wants you to believe that you, you follow this 
plan, you were never going to have any issues. Well, when people realize, hey, there are issues, that's when they turn to things. It can be anything. What what I came to realize was there was so much more and the relationships that I have. I, I mean, it's kind of tough in today's time, you know, if, if two men meet each other in the in the uh, aisle at the grocery store and they talk for a minute and then they, they leave and one, one man says, man, hey, I love you. And the other, one, the other one goes, I love you back. What do people think? Those guys are in a relationship. Yeah. It's a different kind of relationship. Yeah. Because I, I, I spoke to a guy on the way over here who's had a job reorganization in his life. And he gets off the phone. And he goes, hey, man, I love you, dude. Those are relationships that are forged by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And it's it's nothing wrong with that. And it's a different it's a different mindset. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see my buddy Greg White at golf tournaments. Greg and I have been brothers forever. Yeah. And w- we don't ever leave without saying, hey, dude, I love you. And and that's a deep relationship mm-hmm. forged by the word. Yeah. So that's what people are searching for. If they isolate virtual, they don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. And COVID was the worst thing that could happen for us to isolate because more men were founded on islands. More men were home in front of their computers with nobody holding them accountable. Things happen, yeah. you know, so we're our job is to, to get there in front of them. So while all this was going on. I still had groups meeting. We were meeting around large tables. We've still got a couple of my groups where some of the older folks, I'm in that group now that I'm 60, but some of the older folks still sit away from everybody else because they don't want, they don't want that close of an interaction. They yeah. want to be involved. But, you know, I, I, I just think it was a natural thing for us. Uh, it couldn't have happened at a better time for God to get the word out. So is it something in his grip is doing? No. It's something that was prescribed long ago when when churches were set up. They weren't set up to be mega churches. They were set up to be in homes for people to break open the word and break bread around the same table and talk about it, yeah. do life together. And all of a sudden, we got these big churches now, and I, I, I go to a big church. Uh, I like all the things that a big church can afford you, yeah. all the camps and all the stuff for the kids. But I, I got to have that close interaction. Yeah. Um, and that's what our groups have been able to do. So we're we're using the New Testament model church of where two or more are gathered. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's ten, sometimes it's twenty. Um, I can tell you this: my group size that's like six to ten. That's the best kind because yeah. man, everybody can put their two cents in. We talk about it for forty five minutes. We pray and we go play. Yeah, um, that's that's what we do. Um, we're just trying to help men get a get a grip on the word. Yeah. I hate to use the pun, but Man. that's what it's about. Scott Lehman had the dream. That dream was given to him by the Holy Spirit 25 years ago. Yeah. This is the fruit of that. Yeah. So w- why is it important now? Because we are isolating more and more and more. People are working in cubicles. People are working at homes. Further isolation. Yeah. Um, we need that interaction. 100%. You know? you know, it's interesting. Life, in life, pain is guaranteed, but the suffering's optional. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people are suffering because they just harbor in the pain. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I, yeah, I brought you here and we, we watched my, looked at my simulator. And one of the things that you asked me was like, you know, about the connection. I'm, I'm, I'm so isolated right here. And I'm, you know, I, I'm a member at West Haven. So I do playing lessons there and I get out there plenty and that's my respite. You know, that's yeah. my, my get out, right. Uh, to be outside of my home. Cause I teach most of my golf lessons here at my home. And, 
I'm a huge connector. Plus, I get a chance to do these things, and it's and I guess it's so powerful yeah. to share one-on-one stories and things like that. Because what it is that you've gone through in your life, I haven't. So when you give me a little nugget of gold, I get to put it in my front pocket and put it in my life. Sure. And this podcast has turned into something where it started with me trying to promote and help others. And while I am doing that, I didn't realize how much it was going to be helping me. Yeah. And the message that I'm trying to convey for somebody, I'm also doing it for myself. And I literally, it's the greatest gift that I had no intention of giving myself. Sure. Is to share life's trials and travails and conquering together. Right. It's so fascinating. Another thing that I wanted to uh, have you discuss is the Shelby Foundation and all the things that you, you put there. Talk to us about the Shelby Foundation and the massive importance and great story that this is. Man, I tell you, this this goes way back. Uh, this will be our 18th year to do this event. Um, after about the first three or four years, we started the foundation mm-hmm. because we started earmarking special places for the money. My daughter, born with special needs, wasn't supposed to live very long. She lived to be almost 24. She was three days shy of being 24 when she passed away. And the impact that she's had on people's lives helped us to to do this. So we used her her name, her likability, all of those things to draw people together to raise money for her school, Harris Hellman Special Education School. When she graduated... We were like, okay, what are the next steps? And there's nothing out there. When they turn 21, uh, they age out of the public school system. Mm. There's nothing for them. Um, these are these are lower-functioning, special-needs adults. Uh, can't take care of themselves, can't walk, can't talk, all those things. And so we started searching. Uh, we, we partnered with Friends Life for a couple of years, and now we're partnering with a group called the Empower Me Center in Lebanon. Uh, it's It's a day facility for adults and children during the summer during the school year they've got this big dream of this property to build and our our goal is to help them get that dream now they need millions of dollars we've raised 1.7 million in 17 years that's a lot of money for little little old hickory yeah um but it's it's because of people that have come in that were touched by my daughter Mm -hmm. touched by her story and we've continued this uh, out into the community and we've got people coming now we've changed it to a celebrity format um, kind of cool get a local celebrity on your on your team go out and play spend the day with them and, and have a good time Craig Colquitt former punter for the Steelers yeah. uh, he's involved heavily in this uh, he's a good friend he's he's come alongside and said hey any way I can help so this year we're adding an element on Sunday night Colquitt and friends. We're hoping to get his two boys, Dustin and Britton, who've recently retired from the NFL, to come in. And we're just going to have a little 45-minute Q&A, let people get their pictures taken and all that stuff. What 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 the foundation has done has, has led up to this point. And I think God's pushing through that to, to help the Empower Me Center to get the word out on that. Why us? I don't know. This was a dream my wife had. Yeah. Hey, let's let's partner with somebody. Let's have a tournament. Fell through. Old Hickory came came up and said, "Hey, we can do it out here. We won't charge very much. Come on, do it. You're the pro here already. Let's go do it." We raised thirty two thousand. We went, man. Okay, let's let's take off with this. Well, all of a sudden, it it became so much bigger than we could ever imagine. And so we we got a website. We've got the foundation. We've got this annual event. Uh, my wife is getting ready to retire. My dream for her would be for her to become the director of development for the foundation. We don't have any employees. Mm-hmm. Every dollar that comes in, a minuscule amount goes toward golf fees and prizes. Everything else goes into the kitty, and we give it all away. Um, 
that's that's what and who we are. I want to see it where we could get her in there working for the remainder of her time. She's a she's an accountant by trade, mm-hmm. brilliant mind. Uh, she had the vision for all of this. Um, we just we just kind of ran with it. Next thing you know, it's eighteen years. We're looking back, going, wow, mm-hmm. uh, look at the impact. Uh, through all of this, uh, our daughter passed away a year and a half ago in January. You were talking about things that defined you. Um, if it weren't for my faith, I would have had a very difficult time to go through that because I, I did go through a serious battle with depression after she passed away. Mm-hmm. She became a big part of my life. I cared for her every day, fed her, bathed her, all those things. Um, God just kind of reached down into my soul and said, okay, she was a big part of your life. Your life's not over. Your life's about me. It's not about her. And I'd kind of, I'd kind of made it about her. Yeah, I'll be sense. honest with you. Yeah, it makes sense too. And so all of a sudden, I just sat down on on my. I was rehabbing my back. I had back surgery at the same time. I don't recommend that. Don't go through grief and back surgery, back surgery. at the same time. <laughs> that's a good, I don't recommend that. That's, a good, um, that's good advice. I'm I'm laying on the couch trying to rest my back, and I just had to say, Jesus, you're all I need. And when I said that, when I said those words, I started coming out of the the depression. Mm-hmm. I started coming out of the hole that I'd gotten myself into. And my focus became more about how are we impacting lives? Not about Shelby, but how are we impacting lives? Mm-hmm. If she were born typical, we would have never had the foundation. We would have never had this event. We would have never had the reach that we had. She was born with special needs for a reason. God created her that way, and he used that to touch people. And to this day, we're still meeting people like, you're Shelby's parents. Don't know my name for Adam, but they knew my daughter. Yeah, It's an honor to be named Shelby's parents or yeah. be known as that. Yeah. Well, guess what? That reach is still going. And so we've got her little caricature on, on all of our golf balls we give out, hats we give out, all of that stuff. And it's become so much bigger than we could have ever imagined. Yeah. And who knows what's going to happen with this thing. And it's, it's, it can't be easy to think, you know, 20 plus years ago, like, why me? Right. Why did this happen? Not knowing that you were selected because you, of all the people that I know, Joey, I'm not sure that I know maybe four people that can touch the quality of human being that you are. Uh, that's, it's not me. <laughs> I understand that. But what I'm saying not is me. that you you were selected because of your greatness. My other question, and it, I understand that I'm asking a very difficult question, but what most people, what I can't understand, and I'm, I'm because I'm very passionate about care, right, is that because Shelby couldn't talk, you experienced her love through other senses, now you get a chance to experience love from other people because that you can. But what was that particular love like, and why was it? So obviously, it's never something you're never going to forget. But what made it so unbelievably powerful for you? Because I can't relate because I don't have anything like that. Yeah, you know, um, telling somebody you love them is one thing, but when when she would do her thing. She would always kind of crawl over to where I was. She was semi-mobile. She could commando crawl. She would crawl over. She'd grab my foot. I'd be in the chair or something, have my legs crossed. That was my cue to pick her up. And I would set her in my lap. And for hours, she would sit in my lap. And I would hold her. She'd rest her hand on the back of my neck. That touch 
said more than any word could ever say. I could look at her and she would light up. And I just, I don't know, I just, I wish everybody could experience that. Because she never said I love you. But I knew. You didn't, she didn't have to. I knew the way she looked. I knew the way that she she gently touched my arm if she wanted something. Um, I, I just knew. Look, I got a picture on my phone. Look how she's looking at me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. You know, that that's that's incredible. So yeah. I wish everybody could experience that. Yeah. Um, words sometimes mess it up. <laughs> you goodness. know, and so she, she had, uh, and I learned this from a, a young boy at the YMCA where she used to go for, when we would go work out, she would go into this room with the kids. And this child came up and was asking about her, and I was trying to explain. And I think he was about three or four. His name was Elliot. He's probably about 16 now. And he goes, oh, and the light bulb came on. He goes, she has an unspeakable language. And I went, that is so profound. Wow, that's huge. So profound. And uh, that's exactly what it was. And so all of those children that I see that have special needs, I try to go out of my way to go talk to them and talk to their parents because they get isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, like, golly, I don't know if I should go over there. Kids acting funny. Well, they're trying to verbalize and they can't. Yeah. There's a person in there trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Um. We just we just loved on these people, and wow. they become our family. That's huge. I love that story because I did like it was. I don't know how long ago it was. It was probably ten years ago. <clears throat> I was at a Mexican restaurant, and I'd been around you a ton. I was at Hermitage Golf Course and at Gaylord's, so pretty close to Old Hickory for years. And I was at a Mexican restaurant, and you were there with Shelby, and I'm like, I had no idea, literally no idea, and I was like. And that's what like was really heavy for me. It's like how I, could I have known you for so long, and yet not known about Shelby? And I was it was just like I sat there. I'm like, on man, as try as hard as I try to be as great as I can be, how I could have failed there, I don't know. But it was uh, it was humbling for me because I always try to get to, I always try to be kind, always try to be uplifting, and always try to make people feel one percent better after I left them than they were when I found them. And I was really shocked to have known that I had failed to not know that about you. And it was, this was a really important part of the podcast for me because I think that the message an unspeakable language is so such a perfect, perfect label for this part of the, of the podcast because I couldn't have said it any better than that, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I am very fortunate to have a lot of PGA professionals and a lot of, because I went to Mississippi State, a lot of PGA management, golf, you know, golf management majors that listen to this podcast. And <clears throat> because you kind of went what I deem the classic route of assistant pro, first assistant, head pro, director of golf, GM, how did the job evolve over time? And if you were trying to, if you got the opportunity to speak to 500 golf management students right now, how would you help them select a good road for them? What are some keys for them as it pertains to this business? Because the business is definitely not the same as it was when we got into Correct. it. And how can they navigate where you believe it might be going in the future? I think you're going to help people understand better what the job expectation is. 
And I would just tell them, what part of the job is drawing you into that? For me, it was the interaction with the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't mind being behind the counter. I didn't mind working on the tournaments and the clothing and all that stuff. A lot of people are, are, are like yourself. They have a gift of teaching. They need to use that gift. A lot of people have a gift of speaking. They need to be in front of groups of people and, and do that. And I, I see the job change now because we're we're trying to, what, what do they call it, work-life balance now? Yeah. Um, it's not about working 60, 70 hour a week to make ends meet it's more about quality of life well what do you want out of it um a lot of people have different roads that they can take now to get there they don't have to get the classic start at a low wage and work your way up and learn how to teach and all those things Mm -hmm. they're coming out of these pgm universities man they're they're hitting the ground running yeah and and i would tell every one of them find out what you want to do in this business and go after it and if you want to lead people great if you want to teach people great if you want to run tournaments great do something that you feel like your giftedness is going to help people don't just take the job to do the yeah. job cuz you can you can go earn a lot more money somewhere else if that's what it's about but mm-hmm. if this is your passion to make an impact go for it i would have never dreamed when i started I would be doing golf full-time, ministry full-time, and foundation work full-time. I, w- I would have never dreamed that. And yet my life is so rich because of all those things. Yeah. And so I-, I would just tell somebody, find out what their passion is. Follow it. And and be rich because of that. Mm-hmm. Not because of money or anything else that comes. That stuff's going to go away. What's going to last? Your relationships. Your impact on people. Um, how How you made people feel. The people that could never give you anything back, but you gave them the time of day mm-hmm. and you made their lives feel wonderful. When that person comes in and has just played the best round or the worst round of their life and you, you, you speak to them, yep. you console them, you, you have, a, have a victory with them, whatever it is, you made their self-worth go up. So you made an impact on them. And so many people are doing that, Virgil, that don't realize they're doing it. You do it the way you teach. The lives that you're changing, the trajectory of those lives, or what's coming out of, of this room, yeah. that's an impact on the world. That's not just what Virgil's doing. You're yeah. making an impact. So if we can do that, this world's going to be a better place. Yeah. Get our eyes off of man. Get our eyes off of the prize. Let's think about what this is about. It's about him. Yeah. It's about worshiping him. It's about living for him. It's about doing everything for him. <clears throat> Golf. Whatever you do. Mm-hmm. My dad used to say, he didn't ever want me to be a garbage collector, but he said, look, if God tells you you're going to be a garbage collector, be the best one you can be, whatever that is. So I've just tried to take that with me in whatever I'm doing. It just happens to be in a field of golf mm-hmm. and now a field of ministry with golf being the tool to reach people. It's incredible. Yeah. I really do believe the initiative for that work-life balance is critical because it got wickedly out of balance. Sure. And I'll never forget it. Uh, it was just before COVID. Just before COVID, yeah. I'm sitting in Hillwood Pro Shop with Mike Lathrop. And Mike Lathrop, uh, he was like, Virgil, you, this is bizarre. Six years ago, if I had posted a job on the PGA website, I would have 500 resumes in two days. This first assistance job has been up for eight months and I have not received a resume yet. I'm like, you haven't received a. Yeah. He goes, he goes. I believe the PGA is in trouble if they don't figure this thing out because 
who's signing up for 65 hours a week at 29,500? Yeah. Nobody. But this is all I can, this is where I'm stuck. This is my deal. And I'm like, this is why I chose to do what I'm doing. Like, I want to be in control of my time. I want to be in control of what I do, when I do it, how I do it. And he's like, well, you're lucky. You decided that really early. Some people don't figure it out until later. But he says, we got to figure out a way to change this. And I know we had that meeting at the Top Golf in March. Yeah. That was that's a big it's a big deal for us this year. And it's super important. The biggest challenge is is that some clubs <clears throat> aren't run by people that are interested in work life balance. They're worried about the balance sheet. Balance sheet, <laughs> that's right. right. So they don't want they don't like the idea of more expense in human capital. But if they don't understand that more human capital to create more capital. That's where they're messing up. Yeah. And once again, greed rears its ugly head in so many parts of our life and world. But I'm glad to see one, the market bore it. You know, people were like, I'm not, I'm not up for this anymore. I mean, I graduated within the largest class that Mississippi state ever took 110 kids. Mm. came to Mississippi State in 1992. I graduated with 24. And it was at, if we lost 50% of the class at the end of the freshman year. Like, wow. They went to, did an internship, and they're like, this sucks. I'm out of here. I want to play golf. <laughs> I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to like be stuck behind the counter. I don't want to do this. Or I don't, I don't want to work right. 75 hours a week. And, that and my, I got just absolutely so blessed that Bill Strasbaugh decided to like put me under his wing in 1994. He was like back. I'm in the old school PGA, right? Where they had this, they had the teachers right. come in, and Bill Strasbaugh was my the person that taught us how to teach golf, and he just fell in love with me. And I know for a fact I've had a lot of people help me along the way. I mean, I owe a ton of I know a ton of thanks and gratitude to Harry Taylor because Harry Taylor was a PGA tour player. He had hardly taken lessons from anybody in his lifetime coming off neck surgery, Hermitage golf course, hitting golf balls. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. He's hitting balls on a driving range. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm probably been in Hermitage now four months. And I, I walk up to him like, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you hitting it? I'm hitting it pretty good. I said, well, tell me what, what do you do? I, I don't, I don't know who he is. And he goes, he laughs at me. He goes, uh, I'm, I'm Harry Taylor. I'm a PGA tour player. I'm like, <laughs> how do I not, how do I not know? I, I, but I didn't know. Yeah. But I think that he loved the fact that I didn't come up and talk to him because he was a PGA tour player. I was just genuinely interested in the fact that I could tell he was in a little bit of pain and he hadn't swung golf club in a while. And I did, there's a thousand of those guys yeah. that are, you know, coming off of a surgery, haven't played golf in a while. And he then brought me Brad Fable, Bob Walcott, Stuart Smith, and ultimately Brant Snedeker, which ultimately changed my trajectory of my career. Absolutely. And then like, but Harry, you know, Bill Strasball was the person that gave me a blueprint to be a great teacher. Then I got a vehicle like Harry Taylor, yeah. who is influential both in the club design world and the, basically the management side of it 
and as a player, and he knew all of these people that were in the same boat as him, kind of struggling. There was, wasn't really that much in the Nashville area that people could they'd have to go out onto the tour and find somebody on the driving range that week to find somebody to help them. And that really p- cleared the path for me. So I, I tell him all the time, like, I wouldn't be where I am today for sure without your graciousness and kindness in spreading my word. Like, hey, man, you really got to check this kid out. Who knows where I'd be if it wasn't for him? So I'm outrageously grateful for that. But in in so many ways, because I love human connection, I'm a people person, it leads me to one of my favorite books. I've talked about it before, and this is called The Celestine Prophecy. The Celestine Prophecy is is that every time you're in front of any human, God put them there for a reason. It's your job to figure out why. But how many people a day are you beside or around that you don't even address or talk to. And in the, in the book, it, it weaves a story about somebody who decides to do that. He sits on a plane. The person that sits down beside him, under normal circumstances, would never have said a word. Just ride it out, not say a word. Mind your own business. Get your bag and get off the plane. And then he starts the journey by starting a conversation to the person sitting to the right of him. Yeah. And much like what you're doing it's you're addressing a human being every human is desiring connection desiring to be heard felt inquired about and the more we do that the more it enriches our life absolutely and it's so it's so powerful to uh to be in that situation don't you think in this industry that we are now beginning to see more specialization in different things, anybody can stand behind a counter and wait on people. That's yeah. that's what we were turned into when budgets got tight. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, we we can specialize. We can have somebody that runs tournaments, somebody that teaches. Some places have multiple teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, you have somebody that that does the the merchandising. If somebody does the F and B, people are specializing. And when we get people into their giftedness, work life balance is going to happen because they're going to be happy in what they're doing. Yeah. What, what happens in, in our industry is that we get in there, oh, you do that so well, I'm, I'm going to give you this. Well, you're doing that so well, I'm going to give you this. Next thing you know, you're juggling 15 plates. Yeah. You're doing them all okay, but you're not doing any one particular one great. Yeah. I think it's getting back to the point now where we can get that one plate, we can specialize in that one plate. And it's it, you don't have to be a wealthy club to do this. You just have to get somebody that's going to check people in, somebody that can do that and be nice. Mm-hmm. And then have somebody out front. Those people interactions, that's what sets our industry apart. Yeah. And so if we can give them the special touch, walk up to, walk up to a Harry Taylor, have no idea who they are, strike up a conversation with them. You've just made him feel like a million bucks. Instead of coming after him like what you can get out of it, you're trying to pour something into his life. Yep. That's what we get to do every day of our lives. But we have to use our voice. Yeah, 100%. That's the touch. Yeah. I think specialization is certainly, it's hit all parts of life. Sure. Uh, and I think it's a great thing. But personally, one of the things that I'm hoping we see in this, because in the Met section, it's very interesting. The Met section stands out in the PGA because generally speaking, that's the only section where the head pro is playing golf with the members two, three, four times a week. He's not answering the phone. He's not back there selling the shirt, taking the tea times. He is the ambassador of the game. I have said this over and over and over again. 
They said, I was maybe seven years ago, a club here in town was possibly interested in moving on from a mainstay who's been there for a long time. And because that particular person didn't want me to come there to be the teacher, but the club was, was interested in having me there, they asked, would I be willing to be the director of golf? And I'm like, man, what an interesting question. You're asking a guy who's only owned his own business since 2000, and all I've done is teach golf, essentially. You're asking that person to now run your club. Here's what I prescribe. Whatever it is that you're paying this director of golf, I'm going to take significantly less than that because I'm going to make mine teaching golf and playing golf. I want to then use the leftover of that, that amount of money to pay a head professional who's really good at running the business, pay him more than he could get anywhere. I want to get somebody who's an expert in merchandising mm. and pay them more than they could ever make anywhere else. And then I want to take somebody who's really good at running golf tournaments and put them in a position where they're making more than anybody around that's just doing that. Now, I have people that are super happy because they're making more than they can make anywhere else. Uh, they're in their strengths. And I don't need this guaranteed money for something that I have not done. I can certainly put really smart people in these positions oh. and let me do what I do. Teach the game, play the game, and promote the game. And yes, I'll be there for all the events. I know my role. I know that I would be the face. But I don't have to be everything. Right. And like, wow, we've never really thought of it that way. But how would you how would you feel about maybe three people that work for you making more money than you in a salary? I'm like, I don't care. If this club is going to work the way you envision it to work, you gotta put all stars in each position. You do. If you're asking me to run the pro shop, you've now put a double-A ball second baseman at shortstop in the major leagues. Yeah. That is not a good decision. But what is a good decision is that I'm on the range eight hours a day, f you know, four days of the week, and I'm playing golf every day, even nine holes, with new members, like different people all the time. And I have my walkie-talkie, so if there's something that definitely needs to be addressed, I can handle it. And I'm like, we love that idea. Now, it didn't come to pass, which is perfectly fine. But, like, that is something that needs to be thought about sure. going forward in our industry. Because for every I'm, – I'm, I'm a teacher. But there are other people that are really good at other things. And if that makes them the director, if that person knows how to put the right people in place – it's all the same. Sure. And I just, that's to me is where the industry has got to start thinking is that that director of golf doesn't have to be everything. And that's what they, that's what they sign up for, unfortunately. Right. And that's, that's a big, big problem. Right. I, th I think you've, you've got specialists that are there ready to go, but mm -hmm. they're in positions that they can't specialize. <sighs> so true. I missed to hear a story about your dad. Your dad played for the Chicago Cubs, third baseman. <laughs> I mean, that is so the, one of the most iconic brands in baseball, and your dad played for him. Talk to me about the experience of having your dad be a Major League Baseball player and being a Cubby for life. Oh, man. Uh, where do I start? Uh, today would have been his 86th birthday. No kidding? Today. Well, happy birthday. May the 10th. How about that? Um, you know, he was he was gifted. I don't, he didn't go to college to play baseball. He went to college to play basketball. 
kidding. And after he got beat up first semester at Ole Miss, he's like, man, I got to do something else. And somebody called him and said, hey, we got tryouts. Come try out. And he was, he was a gifted athlete. He, he lettered. I think he had 20 letters in high school in different wow. sports. Uh, very gifted athlete. And um, he was an original Met in 62, spent five years there, one year with the Dodgers, six with the Cubs, and one with the Cardinals. Cubs was his heyday. He, he made his mark. And I'm six years old. I'm impressionable. We go into the Cubs clubhouse, and Ernie Banks talks to me. I'm like, I can dig this. This is awesome. So I became a Cub fan for life. When I moved to Nashville, and everybody's like, yeah, well, you know, we got Vanderbilt. Um, you're going to have a hard time. I'm like, wait a minute, you don't understand. I've been a Cub fan my whole life. And they go, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm not. It's it's one of the greatest fan bases out there. Yeah, uh, We get a little rabid at times. But here's the deal. You like something because it's made an impression on you. I, I like golf. You know, here's the connection with the Cubs. Ray Floyd used to come work out with the Cubs to get ready for golf season. He went through spring training with the Cubs, and that, my dad struck up a friendship with him. Dad's bringing home clubs and balls and stuff. I'm eight years old at the time. I'm like, hey, I think I like golf. That's how I got wow. in golf, because of the Cubs. No, go figure that one. Yeah. Um, this is this – is, um, it's a lifestyle in Chicago and yes. other parts of the world. When WGN was reaching everybody, everybody was Cub fans. You're either a Braves fan or a Cubs fan because of those two super stations. Well, now they don't. It's all on marquee. Yeah. I don't get to watch Cubs very much anymore, but I follow them all the time. I'm, I'm last night sitting on the couch next to my wife, and we're watching something on TV. I got my phone up checking the Cubs score. You know, they got beat by the Cardinals. Yep. Um, but I, I'm doing it all the time. Dad was. Uh, at that time, there was no ESPN. There was none of that stuff. Dad was – he had a couple of the best years he ever had in the game, 69-70, part of 71. And, man, to look back on that, I see the highlights, and I just – that's my dad. Wow. That's crazy. That people look at me like, what happened to you? I'm like, I don't know. I'm six feet. He's six four. He could run fast. I run like I'm running in mud. He could throw it from right field to the home plate on the fly. I can maybe throw it to the second baseman. I don't know. Just born for certain things. Yep. Um, much like I think my daughter was born for a reason, my dad was born for a reason. Yep. I, I don't know. I love it because I, I still get to meet people all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter and other things, people are putting stuff out. Somebody put something out today about his birthday. They're Mets fans, b- being an mm-hmm. original Met, you know. So I've got a lot of friends on Twitter that are Mets people, and uh, yeah, I'm, awesome. I, I follow the Mets. I follow them all. Mm-hmm. And don't tell anybody, but I'm a Cardinal and Cub fan. So am I. That's weird, you know. So, it's so cool because I teach Bill DeWitt, right? Yeah. So that's the basically he's the president of the Cardinals. Yeah. But I taught golf in Chicago, and I became a Cubby in 1995. Mm. And so, like, it's almost like this Mississippi State Ole Miss thing. I'm not from Mississippi, yeah. so every time I went to Ole Miss, I had a great time. Love the people from Ole Miss, and I'm a, I'm a bulldog. Yeah. I don't have the I don't have the hatred, but I definitely can tell because I'm very close with some Cubs fans, and they're like hacked off of me because I. It's I, rabid. Yeah, it's rabid. <laughs> it's it's rabid. crazy. I'll give you one more connection about that. Um, uh, somebody had a Cardinal jersey. They were going to donate to to Goodwill, and I picked it up. And I looked at. It, I said, "Man, that's that's about my size." So I took it home and I asked him if I could have it. And they said, "Sure." Doesn't fit. My son sees it. 
and he's living in LA, you know, he's home and he's like, Hey dad, can I have this? I'm like, sure. You don't even like baseball, but you can have it. Well, he's out walking one day from work in LA. He's, he's working off of Mulholland drive, a lot of wealthy people up there. And this person in this big, large truck stops and rolls down the window and, and she yells at my son and she goes, Hey, are you a Cardinal fan? He goes, no, I'm just wearing the Jersey. She goes, well, my, my husband's dad owns the Cardinals. <laughs> And Scott goes, well, I'm a Cardinal fan now. <laughs> so the connectivity, uh, j- just running into DeWitt's son's wife. I'm just that? like, this This is crazy. What a small world. Yeah, no, no doubt. What a small it. world. So baseball has done a lot for our family, a lot for us, a lot for me. It's introduced me to the, this game that I love, this golf. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't ever see myself slowing down. Love. I know I'm going to die one day. I know I'm not going to be able to play one day. It's okay. Yeah. I'm good with that. Because you just take it one day at a time. Enjoy yeah. what you got. Enjoy what's in front of me. That's right. The most popular part of my show is this piece on perseverance, and I'm always interested to hear somebody's story about what it is that they made it through, that while they were going through it, they weren't quite sure they were going to make it through. But when you came out the other side, it steeled your resolve to know that you can handle anything. Sure. What's that one or two things that have happened in your life that taxed you to that point that built you up in that, what I'd call to steal your resolve that you know that you can handle it. You know, being a man of faith, I've, 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 I've been a Christian since March of 1989, March 26, 1989. So 34 years. Mm. Um, I, I felt like I could handle anything. The death of my daughter almost got me. And that was a year and four months ago. Yeah. Um, that was tough. And I knew, I knew the day she was born, she was not going to be with us forever. Yeah. Um, they didn't, there was no diagnosis, no name for what she had. It was just multiple disabilities. They said, just enjoy her. Could be a day, a week, a month, a year. We don't know. She lived to be almost 24. The day she died, my life changed. Um, it was a very deep, dark period of time. Uh, I think God needed me to trudge through that so that I could understand what other people have gone through. Brian Jorgensen's testimony about if he did, didn't have faith after Patricia was killed in that car accident, he said he could see himself driving into a empty field and never coming out. I get it now. Yeah. When people talk about mental illness, instead of waving it off like, oh, they just they just need Jesus. No. There, there's something going on there, something causing that. And we don't know what that is. We don't know what people are struggling with. What God taught me through that was that many people are having different things like that. It may not be a death. It may be something else. could be a loss of a job. could be loss of anything. could be health. I don't know. Y- you need to understand what they're going through and why. And so for months, I just kind of trudged through this. I kept praying. I kept doing my journal. I kept doing my reading. I kept meeting with my groups. But I was going through the motions. And God was just trying to get me to understand that, that there are many people out there in the world that struggle with things, and I need to understand why. Maybe not all of the ins and outs, but I need to struggle with why. And so I just tell them uh, that was a very dark time in my life. And that was 33 years of being a believer, 33 years of understanding when we die, there's there's something grander waiting for us. Mm-hmm. But when you lose a child that you poured yourself into for so long, you you begin to doubt your self-worth. You begin to doubt your self-need. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see things around you like you once did. And God just opened my eyes and said, hey, I'm going to get you through this. 
but you're going to have to travel through this road so that you can help other people to travel this road. So it, it helps me to understand. Um, could I have done this not being a believer? Virgil, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I, I don't know how people deal with a child that perfectly healthy, gets in a car, goes to school, and they never come home because they're in an accident and they die. I don't know how people deal with something tragic like that. Yeah. I knew my daughter was going to pass, and I still went through this depression. Yeah. Um, I understand how people can be gripped by this because it, it's their life. It's part of who they are. We've got to understand that there's a greater purpose. I'm going to see my daughter again. I'm going to see her in a, in a body that's not broken and can't talk. I'm going to see her in a way that I just can't hardly even imagine. Yeah. But that's not what I'm looking forward to going to heaven about. It's about Jesus first, and she's going to be there too. Mm -hmm. So that gives me hope. Yeah. So I had to come to the realization that what I've been telling people is real. I had to go through that. Like, I really believe that. I really know where she is. And I, I offer my two cents on that and give people hope. Well, how can, how can you be so sure? Because the Word tells me so. That's what I rest on. Um, that's what has helped me to persevere. And I think it'll help me through a lot of other things. You know, I've got three brothers. I've got two older and one younger. Um, my older brother and my younger brother are having health issues. I don't know how day-to-day -day we don't know what's yeah. going on. I've been able to talk. I've been able to counsel. I've been able to grieve openly in front of them so that they can get their affairs in order. Mm -hmm. If we believe what we truly believe and what the Word tells us, this is but a moment, and then we're going to eternity in heaven where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. Well, I'm all in for that. Yeah. You know, this life's full of all that stuff. Yep. All the stuff that's going on in the world could make you lose hope. I don't. Yeah. That's just an avenue for me to say, don't put your hope in that. Put it in this one. He's he's defeated death. He's defeated the grave. He's promised to come back and take us where he is now. I'm all in. Yep. I love that. The second half of the show is about the things you do to recharge your batteries. And historically speaking, sociologically speaking, they're the things that bring large groups of people together, like-minded for the same thing. Yeah. You know, I just experienced one this past weekend. Right? So I went to see Taylor Swift. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. I mean, I, I respect the heck out of her talent, but you're never going to hear, hear me pulling up with those stop signs listening to Taylor yeah, Swift. Yeah, there you go. But the 74,700 people that were there to watch it, you walked out of there, you couldn't help but be uplifted. It was communal because it was a shared love and admiration of an art that somebody put so much effort into delivering at such a high quality level that it fills your cup up. What is it when you let's think about when you grew up, who were your favorite athletes and favorite teams? <clears throat> Gosh, Cubs, obviously. Yeah. Uh, my dad was my favorite athlete, but aside from that, you know, Ray Floyd, huge impact on my life. And I, I spoke to him one time in my life, you know, but this the impact that he had on my dad and upon our family. Mm. Um, I, I always followed his career. This is back before ESPN, dude. Yeah. I, I oh, like yeah. had to pick up the paper the next day to see how Ray did in the tournament because CBS covered it like an hour. Yep. Now that you see first shot to the last shot. Um, 
man, what a great time we're in now. No huh? kidding. No <laughs> so, kidding. Uh, all of those things, I, the athletes that I followed were the ones that were up up at the top of the page. I mean, obviously the big red machine was huge back in the early seventies, and all of those guys, yeah. all of those guys, and to meet Johnny Bench later and to hear Johnny Bench say something nice about my dad, I just like this this dude is really as nice as he comes across as being. You know, there's all of those people, the people that we looked up to. Um, I love all sports. Mm. You know, I'm getting hooked on soccer now. I've got a foster child. I got a 13 year old playing soccer. I'm learning about soccer in ways that I never learned before. I'm watching that. soccer on TV. I'm going to games, Nashville SC. Um, I like all sports because of the bond that it brings us all together. Mm-hmm. You know, golf does that. I mean, oh, yeah. Goodness gracious. I, um, I, I just, I love the game where it's at right now. The athletes that are there. I mean, everybody's like, Tiger's the needle. Tiger, yes, he is. But, man, look at the needles that are coming up now. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, you're seeing a guy, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, Will Zalatoris. These guys have no fear. Yep. Uh, man, the, the game's in great hands. It really is. It's in great hands. So I, I just I, I marvel at the conditioning of this. This kid, Wyndham Clark, this past week that's hitting an 8-iron 190. What a great story he is. Oh, My the perseverance that he's gone through. Oh, yeah. Think about that. Think about the impact that God's going to use on that in other people's lives. Like, man, if he can do it, I can, I do, can it. do it. That's the message that's got to be getting out, getting out there. 100% correct. So important. Like, no I didn't doubt. I didn't really know the story. The Golf Channel did a great job of recycling that story they did seven years ago while yeah. he was he was at Oregon. Yep. Uh, wow. How can you not pull for him? You have to pull for him. Uh, he got a lot of new fans this week. Oh, absolutely! And, the, and the, like you said, the game is in tremendous is. shape because for the you know Tiger, <clears throat> Tiger was great with his game, but he didn't really offer us much other than his game. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but now you got at least four guys that are willing to tell you everything. Rory, as forthright as any superstar has been in the game. Yeah. Justin Thomas. Very forthright. Jordan Spieth borders maybe being too forthright. And Ricky Fowler. Yeah. They tell the truth. They tell you what's going on in their mind. They tell you what they were thinking. Tiger used to never tell you anything. <clears throat> but those four. Now, Fowler's coming back. He kind of fell off the radar. But Th- Thomas Spieth and McElroy are great faces are. for our game. Tremendous talents. You know, many maybe too much pressure has been put on Rory because Rory does things that really not many people can do. But it's unfortunate that, you know, how Sutton had to be compared to Jack Nicholas, and it's unfortunate that Rory has to be compared to Tiger Woods. Yeah. Well, why can't they just be who they are? And why can't we just love them for that? That's it's right. kind of a crazy comparison culture that we live in. But we all do it, yeah, you know, and, it, and it's unfair. It's unfair to the athlete. Mm, for you know, sure. Just let them flourish, let them be who they are. Yep. So true. When you were growing up, who were your favorite bands, favorite musical artists, and what was the f- greatest concert you've ever been to? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know. I didn't go to a whole lot of concerts, but my, my band was Boston. Oh, yeah. You know, in the 70s. It, it Just that album to this day. More I, than a feeling, I baby. Can just, I can hear the song, man. It just takes me back. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started dabbling in Christian music. It was coming out somewhat in the, in the early 90s. There was mm-hmm. a lot of amy grant stuff out there and you know what the bands that are out there now in in, in the christian world phenomenal artist mm-hmm. this kid jason roy with building for 429 they live in clarksville 
he's probably one of the best musicians that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the dude's just rock solid, Love you know, it. but there, there's a lot of people out there. I just, I, I kind of gravitate toward the rock side of it, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I'm 60 years old and I, I got to confess this. I like rap. I love that. I like rap. Who, I like, who, who, I like, who you like? You know, um, Toby McKeon, Toby Mac, the dude left DC Talk to rap. And I'm like, what in the world? That, no way. Some of his stuff that he puts out there, the, the jingles, it gets in your head. And he's just, he's rapping a story, yeah, a biblical story. And I'm like, this is phenomenal. I remember what Billy Graham said a long time ago. Somebody was talking about, Billy, how, how, how can you have DC Talk, this young group, on your stage? He says, look. You may not like it. Somebody else may not like it. But your kids, they love it. And I started thinking about that, and I'm like, Billy got it. You know, when when Billy was young, he probably listened to music that his grandparents weren't crazy about. Now he's older, and and his grandkids and great-grandchildren are listening to stuff. It evolves. So the stuff that I listen to now, it's got a message behind it. Mm -hmm. I love it. I still like my rock stuff, too. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but that's not what I gravitate toward. You know, yeah. I've, I've got, I've got a, a playlist. It, it's all uplifting stuff. Katie Nicole, uh, uh, all of these people that ministered to me during the deep time last mm-hmm. year when I was going through all that stuff. All of that music, it has a meaning. It has a purpose. Yeah, it's pointing people to to the one. That's what I listen to. That's what I like. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that's on there now, it's 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 the rock side of the Christian Christian motto. You know, and I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm Hey, Jesus is into this stuff, so I'm I'm into it too. Yeah. That's a person I've tried to get on the show multiple times and some parts of it I get the thing he's not quite ready yet. Toby Mack has uh-huh. been what a terrible situation that he went through as well. And you know, he he's I've talked to him many times and he's like, yeah, I'd love to do it and then like it's not he's not quite ready, which is perfectly fine. It's not it's not about me, it's about him. You yeah. know, but I'm sitting there thinking to myself, another guy using the word and his words and his experience to help others navigate Absolutely. their own pain and literally as nice of a human being and a big time star big star loves golf <sighs> connect all those dots you you got something there that god's using in a mighty way and look it's tragic what happened mm-hmm. uh, but god has used that to show healing to people we we, we want to put on this facade hey man everything's great it's not Everybody's dealing with stuff. Oh, yeah. And so when 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 True passed away, it 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 changed the stage that Toby was placed upon. And they had to grieve. They had to go through a, a dark time. Yeah. I've listened to the song that his sister wrote about her brother and about missing him. And I I weep. Yeah. And for Toby to put that out, it, it it's real. It's it's from the heart. It's sincere. And it's it's what's going to help people in the world. And that, that's what we should be doing instead of, hey, everything's great. I'm making a lot of money. I, I get to do all this stuff. God used him. Mm-hmm. Payne Stewart, same thing. Yep. Same thing. I mean, he was a horse's rear end when he was first out there. Yep. He got saved. His life got changed. All of a sudden, it changed. And when he won the U.S. Open, it wasn't the exaltation of winning the Open. It was putting his hands around Phil Mickelson's face and saying, you're going to be a father. That was the most telling thing about Payne's transformation. Yeah. And six months later, he's he's gone. Yeah. God used that. And so I, I just think God puts people in places that he can use in the only way that he can do it. And, and Toby was usable 
Toby could have been a recluse after that. He mm-hmm. wasn't. He still had four other children that he had to help through their grieving as well. Yeah. He realized that, and that's hard. Oh, yeah. That's hard. So it, it's real. And so that, that, that tells a story. And I, I admire him. I, I just think his music, I've been to a lot of his concerts. I would hmm. say any of his concerts has been probably one of my favorite that yeah. I've ever been to. But um, he just, he's, he's real with his music. He's real with his story. Yeah, 100%. And God uses it. Yeah. And if you can listen to that song 21 years, and not shed a tear. Something wrong with it. Yeah, something's wrong with you. Something for wrong sure. with you, for sure. You know, what's your favorite movie? Um, God, don't think bad of me, but I love the Back to the Future stuff. Oh yeah, one, two, and three. I just it's not so much time travel. It's just the music. Huey Lewis, Michael J. Fox was the guy at the time. Uh, Leah Thompson was one of the girls at the time, and, mm-hmm. and they're in this movie, and I'm like, this is phenomenal. You know, and they were playing music from the 50s. My parents graduated high school in the 50s, and so it kind of helped me to understand what they went through. I just, I kind of fell for that whole thing. I, I like all kinds of movies, but I, I, anytime Back to the Future's on, I got to see, I got to see Doc Brown. I just got to watch it, you know? <laughs> McFly! <Billy>! McFly! <laughs> yeah, so I just, I, I don't know. It's kind of uh, weird. Uh, I, I like all kinds of movies, but. Back to the Future. I always go back to that one. Another another person, Michael J. Fox, and his struggles, and he's an inspiration to so many right now too. He is. Yeah, he's the, he just did a great interview, compelling interview yeah. about the trials and tribulations of Parkinson's disease, uh, and he's wow. And they're getting ready to come out with another Back to the Future. I'm ready. Let's <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. You know, obviously, the Bible being the number one book for you. Is there a book other than the Bible that that you that's really made a huge impact on your life? You know, I've I've read a bunch of books. Um, I, I don't know that I could tell you any one, but a compilation of of many of them. Um, I've read a lot of a lot of books by Max Licato, who's a past, oh, yeah. pastor down in Texas. And man, he he's got a gift. He's a great storyteller. He's got a gift. Um, I I just I, I try to read stuff that's going to help me to understand and help me to to become a better person. Mm-hmm. And self help books are great, but you know what these guys that can use the Bible and tell their story. Uh, my favorite fiction stuff is biblically based. It's a series, the Left Behind series. I've read all those books multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to take something that's the book of Revelation and the book of Isaiah and the book of Daniel and all of these prophecies and put them together in a book format that's one one person's idea mm-hmm. helps you better understand what you're reading in Revelation. And that's a difficult book. Mm-hmm. You think D-Plane is tough. You ought to get in Revelation and hang out there for a while. Um, it, 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 it's, it's hard. Yeah. And and any anybody that can take like Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye and put all that stuff together into the that series of books and help you understand what the end of times could look like, it's pretty compelling. Yeah. And it's and it's and I mean it's fictional, but it's it's using the Bible as the basis of this story that it's telling. And I I I I, I keep going back to that. And it's been out. It's probably been out thirty years, twenty eight years, something like that. And it, back when it was coming out, you had to wait like a year for them to write the oh, next yeah. book. And uh, now I've, I've got I own most of the books, and so I just periodically pick something up to start reading it again. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 pretty cool. Is there a place that you've traveled? or on a vacation or just been that is so compelling and so touched your heart that it's your favorite place to think about. 
you know, I've been to a lot of places. I've been fortunate to go to Scotland and play golf over there and, and other places. But I, I tell people this all the time when they talk about the allure of Pebble Beach. When you're out there, if you don't believe in a creator and you go out there and you see the majesty of that place and the water and the, the seascapes and mountains, you're going to believe in a creator. And I think God has used used the giftedness of this piece of property to open people's eyes that there, there really could be a divine designer out there that created all this stuff and spoke it all into existence. That place is just so majestic. Yeah. Uh, I believe I could take anybody out there and show them that, and they'd go, man, what a piece of property. And yeah. I don't think they moved a whole lot of dirt when they built that thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's natural. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, now they've really had to use is. a lot of concrete to keep 18 in place. Yeah, that's right. But it's it's phenomenal. I think, to me, Cypress Point is the most <sighs> incredible place in the world, but the eighth hole at Pebble Beach is the most majestic visual that I can think of. I think it's the greatest hole in golf, but not only is it the greatest hole in golf, I think when you hit your tee shot and you're up on that ledge looking down and that green looks like the size of a nickel. Yes. And how like the, all of the colors, you got the blue in the ocean, you got that orangey brown sand, you got the seals out there and then the vegetation changes colors as it comes up the, up the, up the face of the, the ridge there. And then the, the different colors of unbelievably vibrant green, I'll just remember. I, I mean, that's not, that is seared into my memory yeah. of like when you because you're down below after you've played the par three seventh and you hit your tee shot up over this ridge and you haven't you haven't been up there yet and you start walking up and you get to the crest and you can see it and it is like oh my goodness it's it phenomenal is, it is unbelievable it's phenomenal I've, I've been fortunate enough to be out there four times and play it and every time I go. I, I, I'm, I'm in awe. This past year when I was out there, I had a lot of time the last day before I was flying back. I put my tennis shoes on. I just went and walked the golf course. Huh. I just I wanted to spend time with God on Pebble Beach. Yeah. And I just I walked out. I went all the way out to 7, and I turned around. I came back, walked in on the backside. And it's just a beautiful piece of property. Yeah, and really I would is. tell anybody, if if somebody tells you, man, it's not worth paying $600 to play something, okay. Add a zero to that. It's worth 6000 Yeah. It's unbelievable what you'll feel like when you're on that place and makes making bogeys a lot easier you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and some others as well. But yeah. that, that's a beautiful piece of property. Uh, Kings Barnes in Scotland, man, what a phenomenal piece of property. I played it when it was 10 years old. So 2011, uh, that's when I was over there mm-hmm. and it looked like it had been there for a hundred years. Wow. Phenomenal piece of property. Tennis Griffiths did that course, didn't course. he? He's the guy that did it at President's Reserve. What a great golf course. Yeah. Just just the lay of the land. I don't think they moved a whole lot of dirt there. Hmm. The lay of the land was just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I want to go play there so bad. It's phenomenal. The old course, I got to play it twice. My wife always tells me, this is so funny, whenever we go somewhere, you always know somebody. So when I'm going to Scotland, I'm, like, I'm not going to know anybody. He says, guess what? I come off of 18 at, at the old course. Jeff Cox and a group of eight guys from Memphis are standing behind the green <laughs> as we're coming in. And I'm like, okay, I do know somebody over here. The next time we're out there, we're going down to the, the pub down there by 17. We're going to eat dinner there. There's a kid playing 17. He's got a Titans hat on. I'm like, hey, Tennessee Titans. He goes, I go to school at Belmont. <laughs> Small world. Small world. Small world. So it, it, it's incredible. But it, I would tell anybody they need to go over there and, and play the old course and just see it. It's it's not you, 
it's four or five different grasses on every green. The fairways are thin at best. Man, what a lay of land. Yeah. Unbelievable. And it's a golf course that changes every day. Heck, it heck, does. Every, every 25 minutes. It does. The wind change is phenomenal, you know, and, and this is what I tell people about one in 18. You know, it's a, it's like a hundred yards from one side to the other. I played it before when the wind was blowing so hard, I had to start it out of bounds on the right side on number one just to keep it in that fairway. It's wow. phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I, I, I've never played in wind that blew like that. It's heavy. Like, that's one of the things. That, you get close to the sea, yeah. the wind is more like a wool blanket than a sheet. I, I, there's no way I could live over there. It's it's so cold over there. You know, oh, it's, it's miserable. We, we had great weather when we were there. We were there in late August, early September. Um, I, I went and stuck my hand in the North Sea. I wanted to see how cold it was. It was cold. It's cold. Um, but I, I just don't know how you live in a climate like that, but those people thrive over there. Yeah. I really miss the PGA, the Tennessee PGA's Ireland Pro-Am. We did two of them, uh, and I played in both, and it was so spectacular. Yeah, the views are incredible. Oh, it's so good. And for whatever reason, it went away. I just wish it could be revitalized. And maybe I have to do it every year, but like every two or three years, yeah. put a group. Because, my goodness, Bally Bunyan was incredible. Old Head is Pebble Beach on steroids, mm. just without the tradition. Mm. Um, the European Club, which is a kind of like a king's barn, a very new design that looks like it's been there for 500 years. There's so many great golf courses we've played, and I've had so much fun. Man, that is a that is a wonderful trip. That's it's a great a, trip. That's, yeah. a, that's a great trip. Final question: They're going to make a movie on Joey Hickman. Who do you want playing you, and why? Oh gosh, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I mean, we have lofty views of ourselves. Um, it, it would be a shame if I told you the name was bouncing around my head right now. But I, I, I don't know that I could tell you that. To yeah. be honest with you, it's number one. Why would they make a movie of my life? Oh, that's the thing that's bouncing around my head. Number two, if they did, would I want Matthew McConaughey playing me? You know, I, I, I take the curls. I take the blonde hair. Yeah. I take the ripped abs. I do all that stuff, but uh, you know, that, uh, that's not me. I, I I wouldn't know who to tell you. Hmm. I'll be honest with you. Well, then I'll give you another one. You get a chance to play one golf course, and you get to bring any four people with you. It's gonna be a fivesome. Whew. Where are you playing? Who are you playing with? Boy, that's a that's a good one. My dad's gonna be there. Ray Floyd's gonna be there. Um, I, I'm probably gonna take. The pastor that I had for eight years, uh, Gerald Bontrager, he he spoke into me and helped me to do the transition that what I'm doing right now. And I think I'd have my son with me. Those would be the four people that I'd, I'd want to have there. Um, where are we going to play? A uh, place I've never played before, but I would love to do it. And, and I'm going to get a chance to do it at some point. It would be Augusta National. I, I really think uh, if I could play one round the rest of my life, where would it be? It'd be right there. I've never been there. Yeah. No, you have never been. Never been there. Was supposed to go this year and, and had to cancel at the last minute. But um, it's just just seeing it, the history of it. I would just love to walk where all those famous players have been. I have been fortunate to play it twice. It's the hardest golf course in the world. That's what I hear. And I don't even think it's close. Well, let me rephrase it. It's the hardest, fairest golf course in the world. 
there are some really terrible designs that are just insanely difficult for the sake of being insanely difficult. Yeah. There's 18 flat shots that are tee shots. That's it. That's it. And you get an, an amazing assortment of ball above your feet, downhill lie. Uphill lie, ball below your feet. And they're like, and the, the geometry and how you're getting, you have to pick. Am I going to hit the pull or am I going to hit the fade? And then you have to then base your decision on which side you're going to err on because where's the pin and where's the slopes? Hmm. It is the reason why the Augusta National almost always brings the greatest players to the top is because it taxes every single part of your game all four days. And you can't get away with anything. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> and I can't believe, I asked that question probably 45 times on the show, and Augusta National is not winning. It's actually not even in second place in the selections. Pebble Beach first, Cypress Point second, Augusta National third. And But it's to me, I always try to place it like this. It's a golf course that almost every human is going to think they're never going to get a chance to play. So the mystique of it is so overwhelming. I've never been more nervous on the first tee than I was in 2005 when I played there. Mm. And I wasn't playing for anything. I was the first person to play it when they tiger-proofed it. I was very fortunate to go down there with a member and three others. And it was it's, it was longer then than it is now. You teed off literally two steps off the putting green. Now the it's like a 30-yard walk to the first tee now. Wow. And... I was so nervous, I couldn't even, I could barely hold the golf club. And that's what makes me wonder, like, what did Brant feel like when I was coaching Brant when he played as an amateur? He told me that he couldn't feel his hands until he four-putted six, and it made him so mad that it snapped him out of his, like, overwhelmed mm. uh, position in his wow. mind. But he, he was, like, we got done, and I was like, I just could I, I had to know, like, what was it like? Because I could not feel my hands until I four putted six. And I was like, and I'm like, then like a year later I play it and I'm like, I'm not playing in the masters. I can't win anything. There's only four other people here right now. One of them is my idol, John Elway. And I can't even take it back. I can't draw spit. I'm like, (laughs) but it is amazing. Much like Pebble Beach, most people have no idea how small those greens are at Pebble Beach. Yeah. Most people have no idea how small the greens are at Augusta National. I could not believe how small they were compared to what I was, what you right. think you see on television. Everybody says the slopes, and yes, the slopes are astoundingly different in real life, especially 10. Is 10 and 8 are like, oh, wow. One, one's the stairway to heaven and one's the heaven down to earth. I mean, they're tremendously down. And yeah. up, right? But it's it is another place that God's grace has has offered us. Absolutely. So, my college roommate and teammate uh, is a member down there now. Oh wow! And he he he's thrown this nugget out there a couple times about you know I belong to this little place in Georgia. We need to try to. I'm like, hey, anytime you call, dude, I'll drop whatever I'm doing. I'm gone. So, Bill, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, I, I'll never forget my invitation. So my my son was born probably 48 minutes ago. 
and I get a phone call from a member. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Why would he be calling me? So I'm like, I'll get it. Um, this is Virgil. Virgil, blah, 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 blah. Hey, uh, what are you doing uh, November 5 and 6? I'm like, well, sir, I'm, I don't really know. I, my son, I just had my son about 45 minutes ago. Oh, my God, Virgil, sorry. Don't worry. I don't, well, no, what do you need? He goes, well, here's the thing. I'm, I got some people coming into town. I'd like for you to kind of help them with their game. And I was wondering if you'd be wanting to come play Augusta Nationals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Took a long time to answer that one. Yeah. So yeah. I, I uh, hang up, and <laughs> the, the mother of my uh, my two sons is like, who was that? I said, well, I just got invited to play Augusta National. And would you say? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't check in? No. <laughs> no. No, didn't check you, in on that are you going to give me a pass on this one? Because, oh, man. I'm I'm there. Just call me. Absolutely. Well, Joey, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story and your amazing vision for where you're going and what you want to do for your story in this world. And I'm so proud to know you. And thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, Virgil. Thank you for doing what you do. Because you do more than you think you do. Well, you're very kind, sir. Let's keep it up. I'll do the best I can. Let's keep it up. Are you looking for a smarter real estate experience? Compass pairs the industry's top real estate agents with innovative technology to deliver a seamless experience for every client, from first-time buyers to seasoned sellers. Lisa Gaston has been a Nashville resident for many years. With her deep local knowledge and her commitment to exceptional client services, she's helping clients all across Nashville find their place. To learn more about Lisa, follow her on Instagram at Lisa Gaston Holmes. The Gaston Collective is a team of real estate licensees affiliated with Compass RE, a licensed real estate broker, and abides by the equal housing opportunity laws. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.